Now, we're working our way through a message series we're calling DNA, right? And so what we're doing is we're examining some of the kind of the core foundational fundamental tenets of the Christian faith. So just like your physical DNA determines determines everything from your eye color to your hair color to your height, our spiritual DNA determines what we value in life, right? How we live, who we are, who we live for how we interact with the world around us. And so what we're doing is we're working through kind of the four core values that we have here at New Life as a framework for exploring what our spiritual DNA ought to be as followers of Jesus Christ. So the last two weeks, we've looked at the core values of, put them up, we'll put them up on the slide right now, multiplying disciples. We looked at that two weeks ago. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at fearless mission. And then today, we're gonna be looking at another core value here at New Life called authentic community. Authentic community. I was having lunch uh, just a couple of weeks ago with, with, with a friend, actually a, a brother here at, at New Life. And uh, he was telling me the story uh, that he, he grew up and uh, the man he, who, who he thought was his father, his biological dad, who, the man who raised him, he just found out just, just a few years ago that that actually wasn't his father, wasn't his biological dad. And he was telling me as he, as he grew up, he could just kind of sense something was a little off. He's like, man, why am I different in this way than my siblings? And I guess I'm just kind of the oddball out of my family. Like I'm just a little bit different. And, and so he took a test a few years ago. You know, those DNA tests that you can order from offline now, 23andMe and Ancestry.com and all that kind of stuff. My wife has done it. I refuse to do it. I'm afraid the FBI is going to track me down to stuff I did when I was 16 or something. But people, people do it. And so he took one of these DNA tests and he actually found his biological father who didn't even know he had a son. And they met a few years ago and they have this incredible, beautiful relationship now, right? That's been restored after all these years. And as he was telling me the story, I thought, man, what a beautiful illustration of the fact that all of us as human beings, we've been created in the image of God, right? We have that Imago Dei DNA in all of us, but we've been separated from our spiritual father by our sin, right? And so now when we live in the world's value system, something just feels off, doesn't it? I can remember that feeling in my teens and early 20s before I began to follow Jesus. I was living my life in a way that the world said would make me happy. And I was just like, man, something's just a little off. Like, like this is supposed to make me happy. This is supposed to fulfill me. And something just feels missing. Like something is a little off kilter. I don't know what it is. Like I feel like I was made for something more than this. And so my hope for those of you who are here in the room, who are watching online, who are not yet followers of Jesus, and I know we have people every week in our midst um, that fit that category. And I want you to know, man, we're, we're so happy that you're here with us. But my hope is that the message today, the series that we're in, would allow you to begin the process of tracing that Imago Dei DNA inside of you back to your true spiritual father, back, back to the creator of this universe. And for those of us in the room watching online that are already in Christ, man, that this would be just a great reminder of who we are, of whose we are, who we belong to, what our, what our purpose is on planet earth because we can be a forgetful people, can't we? We can just get so sidetracked with the details of life and man, we got this, these people coming in for Thanksgiving and man, we're gonna load up the car, we're gonna go to this place, this city for, for Christmas. We can get so sidetracked with the details of life and work and paying bills and normal stresses that we can actually sort of forget the basic 
foundational tenets of our faith, and I don't want us to be a forgetful people. Now, I don't know about what you think uh, or what feeling you get when you hear the word community, right? I'm guessing for some of you, when you hear the word community, maybe that elicits some positive feelings, positive memories. For others of you, if you're just gut level honest, I'm guessing that when you hear the word community, maybe that conjures up some, some negativity, right? Some, some negative experiences, some less than positive memories in your life. But here's what I'm more convinced of than ever before. We all deep down, listen to me, we need authentic community. Whether you want it, whether you don't want it, we need it. Listen, this is not an introvert thing. This is not an extrovert thing. I, remember, I, listen, I'm an introvert. I used to think, man, all, yeah, all this community stuff, that's good for the extroverts. I don't really need it. And I've, what I've come to find out as I've gotten older is I may not want it, but I need it. Right? I need it. I really need it in my life. Listen, we were, we were made to know and be known right? because we are created in the image of God, Genesis 1 and 2. I mean, think about the nature and character of God himself, right? God exists. If you know, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, we believe there's one God in three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Perfect, eternal unity and community, even with the nature and character of God. And if you know the, the, creative, the, the creation narrative in the first two chapters of Genesis, right? God creates the first human. He creates Adam and he looks at Adam and what's the first thing he says? Not good, <laughs> It is not good for this man to be alone. He needs community. So what's he do? He creates, he creates Eve, the first human community. And then what's the first command he gives to Adam and Eve? He says, I want you to multiply and fill the earth. And so in other words, what God is saying is, hey, listen, I want more of this. I want more of this community. Like you were not created to walk out this life experience alone. You were made to walk this out with other people in community. So that's kind of the first uh, hint that we get that this is what God is all about. Now here's the best definition of biblical community that I've come across. If you're a note taker, write this down. Very simple, easy to remember. It's short, which, which I love. So best definition of biblical community is this, life together on mission. Really simple, right? Life together on mission, life together on mission. Community is God's idea, it's his design, right? We see that in the first two chapters of Genesis and then Genesis three happens, you know the story, right? Sin enters into the equation, relational unity is broken both vertically in our relationship with God as well as horizontally with other people. By Genesis four, we have the first murder, right? It doesn't take long for things to spiral out of control. But then the New Testament happens, right? And Jesus steps onto the scene and you know the gospel story, right? He came in, he lived a perfect life for us. He died a sacrificial death to pay for our sins. He rose again on the third day, not just to save us from something. See, I think in the church, we always focus on what the gospel saves us from, which is good, namely sin, death, and hell. Thank God that the gospel saves us from those things, sin, death, and hell. But the gospel doesn't just save us from something, it saves us to something. And that something is community, it's the family of faith. And so the first thing, if you're a note taker, I wanna just encourage you to write this down, this will be on the screen for you really big. We are built for community, friend. We're built for community. This is, this is a part of our spiritual DNA. Like I, I will go as far as to say, you cannot thrive spiritually in isolation. It is an impossibility. 
You cannot, you will not, you will never thrive in your Christian walk in isolation. We say this oftentimes here, a lone ranger is a dead ranger. You're not gonna survive alone in the Christian journey. Now listen, even, even our culture knows this. Think, think about the shows that have dominated um, our, our, our kind of popular shows over the course of the last few decades. So uh, how many of you grew up, you're, you're a child of the 80s, be honest. You grew up in the 80s. All right, beyond that, I have no reference point. So if you're, you're older than that, I, I don't know. But the 80s, what was it? What was the most popular show in the 80s? Cheers. Do you, you guys remember Cheers? Cheers. I, didn't, I never watched Cheers. I was a little kid. I was living over, overseas part of that time. And so I had to YouTube it this week and kind of figure out what it was about. But apparently one of the taglines in the song for Cheers is where everybody knows your name. It's all about, it's about community, right? Now think about the 90s. What was the most popular sitcom show in the 90s? Friends, a show about nothing except people just hanging out, right? It's all about community. Then we get into the 2000s and one of my favorite shows ever, The Office, right? Michael Scott and his, his misfit band of people. But man, they, they got together and they had this really crazy, wild, awesome community somehow, right? Uh, uh, Parks and Rec was another one kind of similar. And now there's a show that's super popular right now. I'm not gonna tell you the name of it because I don't want any emails about pastors shouldn't be watching shows like that. But there's a, there's a show, if you know, you know, there's a show about a, a soccer coach in England right now, right? you know, you know. And, um, and it's, it's all about this crazy soccer team with all these crazy personalities, but yet together, right, they, they become this, this community. Listen, guys, there, there's even a show, from what I understand, a few years ago, I've never seen it, a show called Community, right? There was a popular show just a few years ago called Community. Our world knows that this is a fundamental, foundational human need, Right? This isn't just a Christian thing. This is just, this is a human thing. Introvert, extrovert, it's a need, whether you want it or not. Now, here's one of my concerns as a pastor coming out of the last nearly two years of this pandemic. Stats tell us now, depending on what stat you look at, that in person, church attendance is down across the board somewhere between 30 and 40%, depending on what stat you look at. Now, let me just be honest with you. One of my pastoral concerns is that the apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter that we have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a lion hunt like on the Discovery Channel or one of these nature shows, but if you've ever watched a lion hunt, man, it's really sinister, but it's really brilliant, their strategy on a hunt. So they kind of track, they're prowling around, they track a herd of water buffalo or antelope or whatever it is, and they strategically wait until one animal gets separated from the pack. Have you noticed that? They'll never attack the pack, right? Because there's safety in numbers, but they'll wait until that one weaker animal gets separated from the pack and they pounce and they literally will rip that poor animal from limb to limb and eat it a lot. Like it's, it's hard to even watch. And that's the illustration that the apostle Peter uses. And he says, listen, that's what an isolated Christian is like. That's what an isol- that's the same level of danger that a Christian that's not living in Christian community, that's the same level of danger that they're in. And listen, I'm concerned that there are a lot of Christians right now who have isolated themselves from community. 
and they've gotten out of the habit of Christian community who are very easy prey for the enemy right now. Now, now let, me, let me just give you a little caveat. I, I know there are good reasons for some Christians to still be online on Sunday morning. I'm grateful for the live stream technology. We got, as best we can tell, a couple hundred people online every single week. That's great, but I want you to understand the purpose for that technology. This is for people who are immunocompromised for whom it would not be safe to gather in a crowd. I realize those people are out there. I have people in my family that are in that category. I'm grateful we have this technology for people who are traveling on business trips or they're on vacation. They wanna stay tuned in to what their, their church body is doing. But my concern is that there's also no small number of people, believers who are back to living life in every other arena except for their community of faith. There's no small number of people that are back in the office, they're back working, their kids are back in school, their kids are back to playing sports, they're back to eating in restaurants and taking vacations, and right, I see them at Walmart or Ingalls, wherever it is, inside with hundreds of other people, but they're not back to their spiritual faith family. Now, now listen, I, I understand that. I get that. A few weeks ago, my, my wife and I took a weekend off for just using some vacation time, and we decided to live it up on a Sunday morning like a heathen, right? And so we, we slept in, we got up, we streamed the nine o'clock service in our PJs. It was awesome. We went out to brunch afterwards with all the non-Christians. It was glorious, right? I loved it. And I hope that you do that. And I hope you do that a couple of times a year, but not every week, Right? And I realize a lot of people have just gotten into the habit because it's convenient to sleep in on Sunday morning, to stream a service in your PJs while you munch on a waffle and sip on your coffee. And if that's you, I just wanna, from a place of pastoral love this morning, I wanna challenge you, if that's you, friend, if you're a believer and you're back to life in every other arena except your church life, your Christian community, it is time to get back in Christian community. And here's why. Whether you realize it or not, you need us. And listen to this, we need you. We are not the body God has called us to be when part of our members aren't even with us anymore. We need each other. We were created to function as one body, as one family. We need this. And listen to me, authentic community never happens through a screen. It happens in person, it happens face to face, eyeball to eyeball, shoulder to shoulder with real, live, breathing human beings. So this is the second point that I wanna just drive home. If you're taking notes, write this down. Believer, we are family. We are family. We are not like a family. We are not similar to a family. We are family. We are family, real family means real relationships and real community. Listen, have you ever tried to have a healthy marriage through a screen? It doesn't work, all right? Have you ever tried to raise kids through a screen? I don't recommend it, right? It's not gonna work. We're a family, we're a community. Now, let me show you that I didn't just make that up to make a point. You don't have to go there. This will be on the screen for you. This is 1 John 3. This is what the Apostle John, probably Jesus' best friend, writes. He says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are children of the Most High. We are a spiritual family, not like family, we are family. 
Look at John chapter one, he writes this. Yet to all, to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. There's this really beautiful scene in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus is teaching this big crowd and his mom and his brothers show up and they send a messenger in. They're like, like, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are here. They would like to talk to you. Now, I love Jesus' response to that. This will be on the screens for you. It says this, Matthew chapter 12. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus goes, you wanna know who my my real family is? Look around this room right here. That man over there who's following me, that woman over there who's my disciple, these little kids who love me, that's my family. Not like family. We are family. Now, how many of you have ever been at a family function or gathering, especially as we're going into Thanksgiving or Christmas? How, how, how many of you have ever been in one of those family functions and you thought, man, if we didn't share the same DNA, I would never be in the same room with these people. Like literally the only reason I'm in a room with this group of people right now is because we share the same DNA. Well, the family of God is the same way, right? The gospel of Jesus unites a group of very unlikely people that have the same spiritual DNA. In fact, oftentimes, the only thing that unites us is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Not a political ideology, not because we're all in the same socioeconomic class, not because we're all of the same ethnicity or the same opinion on vaccines or masks or whatever it is, just Jesus. That's all that unites the body of Christ oftentimes, and I want you to hear me say this, and just Jesus is enough. It is more than enough. He is the glue that binds us together. He is what makes us a faith family. Not like a family, we are a family. Now I think the very best, probably most clear picture of how this authentic community is designed to to be flushed out and lived out is found in the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up, turn your device on, go to Acts chapter two. That's where we're gonna spend the rest of our time this morning. Acts chapter two. This is a Greek doctor who is writing this, right? That he was a skeptic, became a believer after looking at all the evidence for Jesus. And he's recording for us really the history of the early church. This is Dr. Luke writing in Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 42. And he's describing how these early Christians lived their lives. And I think this serves as a blueprint for us as modern day Christians as well. This is what Luke writes. And they devoted themselves, listen to this, to the apostles teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, I've had people tell me, I've read uh, commentaries that will say something like, uh, and I've had people even say to me, like when we're talking about Acts chapter two, Chris, that's too radical for today, man. Like this call is too radical. Chris, that that is descriptive. It is not prescriptive. That was cultural. It's not for us today in 2021. That is too radical to which I say, baloney. 
Bull hockey, right? Now, if you're new to the Christian faith, those are Christian cuss words. You're free to use those in church. Nobody will even give you the evil eye. No, listen, this was the norm. This was the blueprint for all of Christian history, right? Listen, understand this. It was not normal in that culture to sell your stuff either to care for other people or to devote your life to studying scripture and prayer and fellowship or to love your neighbor so well that the movement of Jesus just grew day by day in number. Listen, that was countercultural then, it's countercultural now, and the same design for spiritual flourishing in God's kingdom was that then and it is that now. So I wanna give you just quickly three marks of a authentic biblical community. And as we go through these things, my challenge to you, whether you're in the room, you're online, is just to ask yourself very simply, are these things present in my life? Would somebody look in on my walk with Jesus and say, yes, these things are a part of that brother's life. These things are consistently a part of that sister's journey with Jesus. Or would you have to be honest and say, man, no, nah, this stuff is, is just not a part of my life. And I need, to, I need to frankly repent of that and begin to follow Jesus and obey Jesus. So here's, here's the first mark of authentic biblical community. Number one is uncommon devotion uncommon devotion. Now, Luke tells us what they were devoted to. They weren't just devoted to any old thing. They weren't just spiritual people. They were specifically, I would argue, devoted to three things. Number one is this. They were devoted uncommonly to the word, to the Bible, right? It says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, which by the way, church, are recorded for us where? Where are the apostles' teachings recorded for us? That's right, you can, you can say it out loud. It's okay, you're a safe place here. Where? The Bible, right? The, not a trick question, guys. The Bible, right? The, the scriptures, right? So, so think about the names of the books in the Bible. They're like John and Matthew and Mark and Luke, right? Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. The apostles' teaching is recorded for us in the Bible. These people, 2,000 years ago, these first Christians, they were a people of the word. And at New Life, we want to be a people of the word. And can I just tell you that becoming a people of the word will make us countercultural. Did you know that? For some of you, you've come to terms with that, you're comfortable being countercultural. For others of you, that still bothers you, right? Because you wanna fit in, you wanna be a part of the cool crowd, you wanna be accepted at school by your classmates and you, your coworkers and your non-Christian neighbors or whatever it is. Listen, being a people, you just go ahead and get used to it. Being a people of the word will make us countercultural. We will be swimming against the culture, against the, the stream of, the current of culture, instead of floating down with it. So let me just say, man, if you're, uh, I, mean, I don't know, maybe you're, you're young, you're in college or whatever, but you're about to go to college. When your college professor tells you that there are 147 genders, we, listen, we, we just, we're not gonna get rude about it, we're not gonna get defensive about it, we're not gonna argue about it, but just with love, we go back to scripture. We go back to Genesis, we go back to the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. In the beginning, God created them, male and female. There are two genders for those of us who love and follow Jesus in his kingdom. When your favorite social media influencer or your favorite uh, music artist gets on Instagram or TikTok and says, hey guys, love is love, man. Marriage can look any way you want it to love. We go, okay, that, that's fine for you. But for us as followers of Jesus, the biblical sexual ethic is clear. One man, one woman in a covenant marriage. When the culture says, hey, listen, spend all your money on yourself. 
You only live once. YOLO, baby. Live it up. It's all for you. We go, you know what? Let's go back to scripture. What does the word say? Generosity is supreme in God's kingdom. The word says it's better to give than it is to receive. It is a countercultural kingdom. You gotta get comfortable with that if you wanna follow Jesus. So listen, I just want, I want you to know, we, we have to, we have to become a people of the word. This book is our authority, not culture, not a politician, not what our friends at school think. We have to become a people who are devoted to the word. Again, not in an abrasive way, not in a rude way, not in a judgmental way, always full of grace, always full of love, but we say this book is our final authority on everything in life and practice. These people were devoted to the word. They were also devoted to something else. It says they were devoted to, it uses this word fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. That's a Greek word for uh, koinonia. That literally means to, to carefully observe someone, to fix our eyes and our mind on another person. So it's this idea of knowing other people in a very real, relational, intimate way and having other people know you in return in a very real, intimate, relational way, right? Do you know that in the New Testament, there are 61 instances of one another commands? 61 times in the New Testament, we get these command, these one another commands, like love one another, serve one another, comfort one another, honor one another, forgive one another. It's this idea of watching out for one another in a very real and practical and relational and intentional way. And do you know that we cannot be one anothering each other if we are never with each other? I know that probably just blew some of your minds, but we, <laughs> we cannot be one anothering one another if we are never around each other. Fellowship happens in community. That's the plan. That's the design. That's what we need. And without it, I promise you, you will eventually wither spiritually. So they were devoted. Uncommon devotion to the word, to fellowship. One more thing on the screens for you. They were also devoted to worship. Now notice what it says in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Now, a lot of scholars believe this literally meant that they were sharing meals together, but they were also celebrating the Lord's Supper in worship, which incidentally we will be doing next week. So I would encourage you to be back here next week. We have a regular rhythm of we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a faith family. It also says they devoted themselves to the prayers, to the prayers. Now, this is not an individualistic type of prayer, although we should, I think, have private prayer times and, and seasons where we're getting alone with the Lord that's healthy. But these brothers and sisters were gathering together and they were praying together on a regular basis. Right? They were under massive persecution. They were suffering for their faith and they would get together and they would just cry out, God, God, would you show up, man? Would you show up? Would you, would you do something? Would you save these people? Would you save our family members? Would you save our neighbors? Would you save our classmates, our coworkers? God, would you give us boldness not to shrink back, but to share the gospel in love, even when it's not gonna be accepted in our middle school or our college campus or our workplace? Would you give us the boldness to stand out and swim against the stream of culture? God, we, we need you to show up in our lives. And they were doing this consistently together. Listen, guys, this is a picture of the weekly gathering. 
This is a picture of, of what we're doing right now in this moment, right? These, these believers would gather together and they would eat together. They would worship together. They celebrated the gospel through the Lord's Supper and they prayed together. Man, we need these times of corporate gathering of worship where we can look each other in the eyeballs and say, yeah, this is real, man. This is real. I really believe this. I'm, gonna, I'm giving my life to this. And somebody looks back at us and they go, yeah, man, you're doing a good job. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know everything in you wants to, wants to bail, wants to go the other way, wants to swim with, with the culture, but man, keep going. Keep going, sister. Don't, don't give up. This is all gonna be worth it. This gospel is worth it. Let's give our lives away to this. Let me just ask you a question, friend, this morning. Do you, do you have a group of people in your life right now that you're doing that with on a regular basis? Do you have a group of brothers and sisters in Christ whom you're doing that type of life with, that type of community living with? And I'm just telling you, if, if you don't, your spiritual growth will 100% be stunted without question. Luke continues, look at verse 45. He says, and again, this early community, these brand new Christians, he says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as anyone had need. Now that's the second mark, I think, of authentic biblical community. Number two is radical care for one another. Radical care for one another. Look, Acts 2 says these believers loved each other so much that they were actually selling their possessions to take care of one another. Now, could you imagine, have you, have you ever been a part of a community of faith where something happens in your life, man, as things tend to do, whether it's a big medical bill or someone in your family dies or whatever it is. Have you ever had a group of people just be like, man, we're coming around you. You're not gonna walk this pathway alone. Listen, I got, I got this brand new iPhone. I don't need an iPhone. I'm gonna sell this. I can use a flip phone for the next year. I'm gonna use this money to help pay your medical bills. Man, I got this extra car in my garage, this convertible I just use on the weekend. I don't need that. I'm gonna sell that. We're gonna, we're gonna take care of you. Have you ever been a part of a radically caring community? We're just kind of surrounding each other, living out the gospel in real and tangible ways. Now understand, this is not, as some have argued, this is not biblical socialism or communism because it was all voluntary. This, this, is from, this is from the heart. These people just begin to love each other more than they love their stuff. They begin to care more about each other than they cared about their money or having a nicer, newer car or a bigger house or a fancier vacation. And man, I can't tell, I've been in New Life for five years. I can't tell you the number of stories I've heard over the years where community groups, Bible studies, small groups of believers within the body here at New Life would see a need in their community and they would just meet it. Like it never even got to church leadership. I'm talking medical bills taken care of. I'm talking childcare. I'm talking meals when people were sick, you name it. And it was, it's been beautiful to see that fleshed out. Many of you have experienced that type of community. Many of you are in that type of community right now. Others of you were in that community at some point in time in the past and you need to get back in that type of community. It's beautiful. Radical care for one another is a mark of biblical community. Do you have that in your life, friend? Do you have that in your life? That's the second mark of authentic community. Here's the third mark. I would argue it's kingdom growth. Look at verse 46. Luke says, and day by day, attending the temple together, so they were 
in the habit of worshiping corporately together like we do now, right? They didn't, they didn't skip that. That was important to them. And together, breaking bread in their homes. There's that communal aspect, right? They're not hiding away because there's a virus. They're, they're living life together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And listen to this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, these believers lived such outwardly focused lives that people were coming in droves to join this counter-cultural Jesus revolution, this movement. And ancient historians like Origen and Josephus, they tell us that these early Christians, listen to this, this is fascinating. These early Christians would not only take care of their own orphans and widows, they began to take care of the orphans and the widows in the city of Rome, right? Pagan orphans, pagan widows, they're like, we'll take them too. Anybody who has a need, anybody who's poor, anybody who's hungry, just send them to us, man. We'll sell our, all our junk. We don't need all this stuff. We care about people. We're gonna take care of these people. These same historians tell us that when plagues would break out in Rome, everybody would leave the city. Christians would flood into the city to care for the sick and the dying, risking their own health and their own lives. And they revolutionized the ancient world with this kind of love. Listen, guys, this is, sadly to me, this is, the opposite of what we've seen the last 18 months from a huge portion of the Christian population that instead of running into community, running to the needs, we've kind of pulled back and huddled up and man, we're gonna protect ourselves, and I, I don't wanna get sick and I don't wanna get, get die and I, I'm gonna take care of myself. But the early Christians were living a very countercultural life. They were willing to lay down their lives to serve other people and to love other people into the kingdom People were astounded by this lifestyle and they were attracted to it because it, it was counterculture. It was not like the culture. And listen, church, I dare say, if we ever started to actually live out this Acts 2 kingdom ethic again, we might, maybe, we might once again become a source of astonishment and attraction in our culture once again. But I'm listen, I'm, tell I'm telling you, the sad truth of the matter is that many, if not most modern day Christians are living just like the culture. Are living just like the culture. And so we just, we just adopt whatever the popular cultural stance is on, on money or sexuality or politics or, or whatever it is. And listen guys, I'm telling you, the culture at that point looks at us and they yawn. They're bored with us, right? Because we are just like they are. We live just like they live. We believe just like they believe. We value everything that they value. And I'm just telling you in their minds, they're thinking, man, why would I believe what they believe? They live exactly like I do and I get to sleep in on Sunday mornings. Like, why would I believe in their God? He hasn't even changed anything about their lives. Church, I'm telling you, if we want to see healthy kingdom growth again, we have to live a lovingly countercultural lifestyle in community with one another. We've got to value being countercultural in a loving way and doing it in Christian community together. And listen, guys, we ought to be inviting people on the outside in. So listen, I hope that you're, if you're here, you're part of our faith family, I hope you're inviting people to come with you to the Sunday morning gathering, what we're doing right now, so they can hear the gospel proclaimed. 
so they can experience Christian community with real, live, breathing, living, heart-pumping human beings. I hope that you're inviting people to come to your small group that meets on Tuesday night or Thursday night. I hope that you're in the youth group. You're inviting your friends to come to the youth group with you on Wednesday night. I hope you're inviting people over into your home for dinner. When you go on a hike on Saturday or Sunday, I hope you're inviting people to come with you. We gotta be inviting people in. But church, we, we just have to know, but listen guys, we have the one thing that changes everything. We have the one thing that changes everything. We've gotta get after it. I wanna close with just one exhortation from the book of Hebrews. And this is Hebrews chapter 10 be on the screens for you. As we go through this, I want you to notice the communal language. As individualistic Americans, we tend to read the Bible as it's written to to me individually. That that, that almost never is the case. The Bible's not written to me individually, it's, it's written to us together as a community of faith, as a family of faith. Listen to the writer of Hebrews, he says this. Let us... Not let you, not let Chris Dillon, let, let us, he's talking to us as a community, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful and let us watch out for one another. That's one of those 61 one another's in the New Testament. Let us watch out for one another. Why? To provoke love and good works not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer is saying to us, Christian, do not neglect biblical community. The day of the Lord's return is fastly approaching and we need to all the more be together to provoke each other. That means to stir up in inside of each other love and affection and good works. We need to be together and encourage each other and get in each other's face at times and say, yeah, man, like you got this. You got it, man. I know it's hard at school right now. I know it's hard at work. I know you're under a lot of pressure to say you believe in certain things that you don't believe. I know it's hard. You got this, man. We can do this together. I'll call you this week. We'll pray together. Let's meet for coffee early on Tuesday morning. We got this together. You keep loving Jesus. You be faithful to him. You keep following him. I know it's hard. We can do it. Let's go. It's gonna be worth it. So you gotta understand, listen, the gospel saves us from our sin, but the same gospel also saves us from our solitude. And a lot of us focus on the first aspect of that. And yes, thank, praise God that the gospel, the good news of Jesus frees us from our sin, but it also frees us from our solitude of living in isolation in a very spiritually toxic and unhealthy way. Now remember the definition for biblical community that we started with. Life together on mission. Life together on mission. Life together on mission. And so as we finish, I just wanna finish with a very simple question for you, for you to consider. Life together on mission. Life together on mission. And the question is this, do you have that? Do you have that right now? Is that present in your life right now? Not, not did that, was that present in your life before the pandemic? Was that present in your life? Is that present in your life in this very moment today? Is it present in your life? Do you have that? Now here's a weekly challenge. If you've been around here, you know I like to give kind of a weekly challenge as we finish or some, some homework. Here, here it is, here's the challenge. 
Would you be obedient and would you take one step forward this week, whatever that looks like, into authentic biblical community? That's the challenge. Would Would you find one way to be obedient to this text and take one step closer and into authentic biblical community. Let me encourage you to just bow your heads with me right now. We're gonna pray, then we're gonna, we're gonna sing. Now, for some of you, this, this first step, as we step into authentic biblical community, for some of you, that first step is saying yes to Jesus. Because for, for, for some of you, maybe this is your first time in church, maybe you've been in church for, I don't know, a decade. But if you were being honest, you would just have to say like, man, I don't have a relationship with the creator through his son, Jesus. Like I've never encountered this God of the Bible in a meaningful way, in a relational way. Like I know about him, but I don't have a relationship with him. If that's you, your first step into authentic biblical community is to say yes to Jesus. Just say, God, listen, I'm tired of living for me. I'm tired of living for my sin. I'm tired, tired of chasing things that will not ever satisfy me. And so God, I wanna lay those things down. I wanna turn from my sin and I wanna turn and I wanna trust in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection on my behalf. And I wanna begin from this day forward to live for him in his kingdom. And I know I'm gonna have to pay a cost. I know I'm gonna be swimming against culture, but I don't care because he's worth it and I need him and I was created for this kingdom community and I want it now and I want it starting today. And for some of you, that's your first step. You're online right now, you're watching. I don't know, maybe you just stumbled into this on Facebook Live accidentally. You don't even know why you're watching. Maybe you're in here and you're like, man, yeah, dude, that's me. That's me, I need this. I don't know this God, I need to know this God. I wanna know this God. That For some of you, that's your first step. For others of you, your thought right now is gonna be like, man, yeah, it's been really nice watching like streaming, streaming church on TV and my PJs eating waffles and sipping coffee. Man, it's time for me to get back into real in-person biblical worship and community. For some of you, that's your step. For others of you, it's gonna be like, man, yeah, I've been worshiping, I've been here, but I need to go deeper. I need to go deeper, man. I need to get in a small group. I need to check out a Bible study. I need to be in a circle, eyeball to eyeball with other believers so I can go deeper in my faith. And for others of you still, your, your, your thought is gonna be like, man, yeah, like I'm, I'm here, but where am I serving? Am I leading a small group? Am I, am I serving with one of, one of our city partnerships? Why am I not serving our kids on Sunday morning, either in the preschool ministry or our kids' church? Man, we have dozens of people here every single week who come to the nine o'clock and serve our kids and attend the 11 o'clock or vice versa. Man, it, they are devoted to the kingdom of God. And for some of us, we need to ask that question. Where am I serving? Why am I not serving? Why am I not investing in our teens on Wednesday nights? Man, I need to figure out how to, how to use my spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. Listen, some of the best community you will ever find is when you serve with people in the body. Whatever step of obedience you need to take towards biblical community, let me just encourage you, friend, be obedient. Do what God is asking you to do. Take that step of faith and you will be rewarded for it. God will be honored. Others will be blessed. Let's pray that we're gonna sing. Father, we are... We are grateful that you did not create us to walk in this journey alone. We were built for community. Thank you, God, that when you saved us, you didn't just save us from our sin. 
You didn't just save us from death. You didn't just save us from hell. You saved us from all those things, but you also saved us to something. And that's a family of faith. That is Christian authentic community. Thank you, God, that we belong now to your family. Would you help us to begin to live like it? to live like we are a part of something bigger than ourselves, that we're a part of this amazing faith family united sometimes by nothing but the gospel of Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing and it's a winsome thing to the world looking in at that kind of beautiful Acts 2 community. God, we, would you teach us, would you remind us consistently that we are not like a family, we are a family. Not like family, we are family. So Father, would you give each person in the room this morning, each person who's watching on, online right now, the courage and the boldness to take that step of faith, whatever it is that you're asking us to do as we move towards authentic biblical community. For our good, for your glory, we ask all these things in the name of your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship.